How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. Hi, I'm David Phillips and you're listening to the 1865 Forest Ramble. I hope you enjoy it. Good evening and welcome to part two of the 1865 season review. Hopefully you already had a chance to listen to some of the uh, opinions of our fans and a couple of journalists who contributed with their thoughts on Forest season just gone. This evening we are joined by Stephen Topless. Hi there. Hello, good evening. By Baz. Hi. Hello. Hello. And by Tom Newton. Good evening. Evening all. Okie doke, let's get right in there because there's a lot to cover. Tom, I'm just going to start with you. In a nutshell, how do you feel about the season just gone? Diabolical, really, um, but not not as bad as others in the league, obviously. Yeah, I just think it's been, the fans have not been there. We've, we've missed it in terms of actually going to a stadium. But yeah, it's just a matter of when, just before Christmas, it was like trying to get through this season with, as little damage as possible, but it's just been an awful watch. And with a stat uh, I mentioned um, um, on Twitter yesterday, Forest have either in games it's either been zero goals or one goal in 39 of the matches this season. It's just been awful, really. And and um, then you feel there's a big uh, disconnect between the fan base and the um, and the club at the moment. So yeah, it's been an awful season all around for everybody involved with uh, Forest at the moment. Uh, Stephen, do you think it would have made a difference to how the season feels if fans in Nottingham had been able to go to matches like they had in a few other cities? Albeit it would have only been a couple of thousand people, but obviously we were tier three, weren't we? So we weren't allowed to do that. Would that have helped at all? I think it would have helped. And it, just on the basis of the fans have missed football and, and the players and the club, They've missed the fans just as much. And even if it would have been for just a couple of games to have that connection between the 
team and the supporters, I think, just would have would have helped to have maybe repaired some of the damage that had been caused, sort of with the collapse towards the back end of last season and then the shambolic start to this, the poor recruitment and all of the things that, that started to unravel. I think it would have gone some way to to, to sort of repairing that and and just re-establishing a healthier relationship between the club and the fans. And Baz, just on that same theme, I mean, obviously you've told us in the past about how you're a long distance fan. So, you know, it's not possible to get to every game. But in our part one, when we heard from George Harvey, who's been in the privileged position of being able to go to matches. And then we also heard from Beth, who's talking about how she just wants to see her seat. Um, She wants to be able to just go into the ground. It's that experience of the match day. How much have you missed that over the last year? Absolutely. Well, even like I think I think it was Beth that said, yeah, even when you win, it doesn't feel like a win because you haven't got that 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 adrenaline flowing from seeing the, the win and seeing the, and cheering at the final whistle where you just shut your laptop and go off and do, make a cup of tea. It's not the same thing in this, in, at all. And um, when we were struggling, as, as Stephen mentioned, when we were struggling, there's that bit where you turn to the bloke next to you and go, oh my God, that's awful. And you're just getting something out off your chest and it, and it, it helps a little bit. Um, and not having that has, has damaged us as fans. I don't know if it would have made any difference on the pitch. It may even have made it worse. But for, for us, it's, it's made things much, much harder. Tom, just uh, you know, thinking about that, I mean, when you go to matches, it's the going to the match that's part of the experience, isn't it? Uh, I think back, uh, Stephen and I recently had a chat with uh, with Mark Shardlow, who was the sports editor at Radio Nottingham and at East Midlands Today, and and with Mark, we were talking about the Football Post, and I was just thinking back to when I was a boy, and I used to go to matches with my dad. So we used to eat our lunch, and then I used to go, go to the shop and buy some chocolates and munch on at half time, and then we'd sit listening to Radio Nottingham on the way home, and then I'd run to the shop for six o'clock to get the late. You get the evening edition of the Football Post. The actual match day experience is so crucial to how we perceive our experience as football fans isn't it Tom? Yeah definitely I mean at the moment we up until like these lockdowns been easing etc Saturday for some fans might be the only time you get to see your mates because people might be working and everything and even if the football's not great you've still seen your mates you've had like a, a pint you've um, either like stopped out for a couple of drinks after the game and that's been missing and that's part with a lot of fans that's part and parcel of their social life um so yeah, it's been um, yeah the match day experience has obviously been lacking for like um, over a year now, and um, I think like myself, I can't wait to get back, see my mates, and actually uh, have a pint. And even if the football's dreadful, you've you've seen your mates and you've made a day of it. Even for away matches, I mean our away record's not great in previous seasons, but you've gone to a different city. It's it's that experience of like um, going to like a um, like a pub or something in another city and like sampling their culture it's that's what's been uh, missing so yeah it's part and parcel of like people's lives and everything so yeah it's it's been sad that you're not being able to meet up with your mates as much as you wanted to and in a strange way just to come back to you Baz because obviously this is something that you and I have been experiencing and talking about well for most of our lives uh that match day experience is also a way as Tom said of seeing people that you know, and therefore it's a microcosm of what lockdown and, and life since the pandemic has done to us, hasn't it? Because 
you know, I realise that I live just a few miles away from my mum and dad, but I've only, I've not, I've, I've not been in their house for a year and a bit. Um, and it's that thing about, you know, match day uh, has always been about actually going round, having a bite of lunch with mum and dad, and then, you know, getting in the car and having that, that's, that's actually a lot of the time that I spend with my dad is, is that time in the car and having those discussions about team news or about moaning about the ref on the way home, those kinds of things. And then again, in the evening, it's, it's a bite to eat with, with my parents before, before we kind of part, part ways. Um, that's symptomatic of what life has been like since the pandemic. And, and I think that that's something that cannot be replicated by social media or Zoom conversations or whatever, can it? Well, it comes down to connection. So all that stuff about about having lunch with your dad and all that kind of stuff, that's about connecting. And even down, if it's the most awful, awful 1-0 loss, smash and grab in the 89th minute loss, you can still come away from the match going, hey, but what about that fat bloke in the away end and, and, and the funny chance and all that stuff where you connect with the fans around you. And we've not, you don't get that if you're watching it on iFollow. You don't get the funny chance and you're the the bald man no hair chance and all that kind of stuff so and and that's that's what it's all about it's those bits that that make it for me i wish to thank you for resurrecting the chance bald man no hair <laughs> so um, Stephen, just to uh, recompose ourselves for a second and come back to you so just two things i want to say firstly um social media has always been the best of worlds and the worst of worlds you know even in happy times and that's only become you know the the, uh, nffc timeline has only become ever more toxic over last year how much of that do you think is down to on the pitch how much do you think is that down to off the pitch and how much of that is just down to the fact that we as fans are massively frustrated about not being able to go and have those match day experiences i think it's an even split across across all three on the pitch it, it it's not been inspiring it's at times it's been quite a difficult watch and that does obviously feed through to the fans even from a distance fans still want to be entertained they still want to see the team playing well and doing well and we haven't had that this season it's, it's been very brief spells if that so of course that's going to be a factor and off the pitch the recruitment was not great last summer. We we saw over the course of this season that a team has been put in place that has not been up to standard and not been good enough to, certainly to, to, to get Forest where we wanted to be this season, which was challenging for the playoffs at the very least. And then just in general with the whole situation, yeah, there's a disconnect between the club and the fans and people are missing football Social media is a quick and easy outlet. It always has been. And in this this era, this pandemic era, where we're all relying on some form of social media or some form of remote communication to stay in touch, it's just an easy outlet for people to vent. And those views go out there. It creates, it can create a bit of a frenzy. And it, sometimes you have to take it with a pinch of salt and and just... People are people are frustrated. It's been a long season, missing football. There's probably things happening in their lives as well, like with everybody that, that that's affecting them. And it, it just probably comes to a head. And social media is an easy 
and quick outlet for that. And just staying with you, Stephen, we're going to come on talking a bit more detail about Chris Hewton's performance as manager, but do you think he's been given an unnecessarily hard time because of that frustration of not being able to go to the matches and experience, you know, do you think we'd have a better better impression of what Hewton football is like if we'd been at the matches rather than watching via a little screen? Definitely. And from Hewton's point of view, he's not been able to build up any kind of rapport with the fans because there's been no fans at the games. You look how quickly we took to people like Aritor Karanka and Sabri Lamushi and, and the excitement the, the, the things were starting to happen under those managers. If we get that again under Houston, I just want the fans to be there to, to to get that good feeling back and also to show Houston that he's appreciated and that a good relationship builds between him and the fans. I, how he, there's there's been a sacking culture at Forest for you know 25 years now, near enough, and it's so easy for fans to come out and just sack the manager, get somebody else in. We're not going anywhere. This manager's clueless. We've heard all those stock phrases before. Uh, I think Hewton is just, unfortunately, some fans are targeting him and sort of pinpointing him as a problem without considering the bigger picture and and the whole situation, particularly the situation he walks into. And the fact he's got us safe, that that's all that matters. And we go again next season. Baz, just, you know, on that, we heard in part one from people like George Harvey and also, you know, Justin Peach of the Second Tier podcast too, uh, you know, for those of you who listen to Second Tier, you'll know that Justin's actually a Derby fan, so he was really, really considered in his approach. We also heard from uh, Pat, who runs the Famous Club uh, fan website, and even from Kate. So a lot of people who contributed to our podcast. and. They were saying, you know what, Chris Hewton, the indications are that he can do a good job. And then just on the day that we're recording this, we've seen an article in The Telegraph by John Percy. Of course, is for a supporter, is a respected journalist. Generally, when he says stuff, we can listen. And amongst other things that were in there was a very strong indication that Chris Hewton is being trusted by the club. And the future direction of the club will be partly informed by things that Hewton, as an experienced manager who's been in difficult clubs before, by what he says. Do you agree with what is being proposed in that Telegraph article? I think um, we've always said uh, managers need to have time and they don't get time at Forest. Um, I think someone uh, on on the part one thing said uh, three transfer windows is the bare minimum. Um, for me, I think you can't tell about a manager until they're up against it. Um, so everyone's like, when 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 a manager comes in, if you get the new manager bounce and then they go on like a run of six wins, and everyone's like, this is the greatest manager we've had in forty five years. Well, that's that's not a test of the manager when things are going well. The test of the manager is when things are going badly. And Hewton came in when things are going badly and he's managed to just stop us bottoming out. And that's quite, quite a feat by itself. Um, so how would you to, compare to pick up from how would you compare well, so, Hewton to when Karanka came in? Um, 
same sort of thing. And again, the, the thing with Karanka, and it seems to be a running theme with him at several clubs, is when the pressure is really, really on, he folds and and leaves in whether how, however that leaving happens. Um Hewton's had to deal with Mike Ashley, so he's obviously had to deal with quite a significant amount of pressure. So uh, I, I would imagine that he, he's probably going to be able to cope with with pulling out of this and and when expectations are higher in a much better way than Karanka did. But who knows? <laughs> there's no there's no room for hope anymore. And I would also add in there that obviously. The, what you've just described there is a fairly good summation of Sabri. You know, when things were going well, it was so much fun. But when things started to get difficult, Sabri didn't have any answers, did he? So, um, no. yeah, I think I think there's maybe a point in there somewhere. Um, Tom, you came up with some stats earlier about how bad we've been in front of goal. Everyone knows that Forest have just completely lost all composure when they've gotten to the final third of the, uh, of the pitch this season just gone but a good stat I heard and this came out at the end of April so about two three weeks before the end of the season um, the form table in the first 18 weeks of the season uh, Forest were 22nd in the form table and then between then and game week 44 out of 46 uh, Forest were ninth in the table, so that's with only signing Kravinovic, Garner, and Glenn Murray. So, I, would we say that that's a sign that Hewton is actually a good, safe, steady pair of hands? I'd, I'd say yeah, because at the start of the season we was leaking goals, and he basically got um, Wall and um, McKenna in. And he tried to keep them together to form a partnership. And if you've looked, okay, we've not been easy on the eye in an attacking sense, but he has stopped the rot at the back where we haven't been conceding as many goals. So he's slowly coming up the pitch, let's say. He's got one department pretty much solid. Then obviously he's just got to work on the midfield in the um, attacking threat now. But yeah, I think progress has been made. I've um, I've got full faith in Chris Hewton because like's been mentioned He's worked with, with difficult owners in terms of Mike Ashley, and he's uh, and he's got teams out of this league um, by the like playoffs or promotion or whatever. So I will trust him, and you can't keep sacking managers like I've mentioned on previous podcasts. That it gets us nowhere. So let's stick with him and give him a few windows and see what he can do with his players, rather than having some of like um, Karanka's players, some of O'Neill's players, some of Sabri's players. Let's get the players what he wants in. And obviously, and see where we go with it, and just give him a like time and have a bit of like forward planning. You never know; it might it might take us into the Premier League, where we are, obviously haven't been for the last twenty odd years. So just give him time. That's all. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the reminder about that, there, Tom. <laughs> just just to come back to you very briefly, Baz. Is there a danger? Because we've you know we talked about systems and the way in which clubs are run. And, and obviously we've seen lots of clubs go towards director of football type models and, and collegiate transfer, you know, transfer acquisition panels, if you want to call them that. <laughs> um, is there a danger of putting all your eggs in one basket when the, it's the manager who's ultimately responsible? Because when that manager changes, which inevitably happens, then all of a sudden you have to start again, don't you? Which we've done many, many times. Yeah. And again, it comes down to, I think the, the owners of the club started with the idea of 
doing a much more sort of continental model where the manager can come, well, the coach can come and go and there's still some continuity at other levels of the club. And the fact that they are saying, and I noticed Nick Randall as well, and I know we're going to talk about him later, um, he said exactly that. We, we, we put all our power towards the manager and that's our strategy. Um, the fact that the, the club are coming out and saying that stuff, I think says, yeah, they trust Hewton to, to do the job in a way that maybe they didn't trust the other managers beforehand, or maybe they've just changed their mind and thought this is how England works. Mm, okay. Um, Stephen, I'd like to ask you something about, we know that Hewton is experienced. We know that he's, you know, a steady pair of hands. And of course, that's something that's been a source of frustration because the performance levels have not exactly been exhilarating. And the goals scored, well, the second lowest in the entire division, which is pretty appalling, isn't it? Um, Factors contributing to that. We're going to talk a bit about some of the players in a little while. But I just got something that I want to put to you. Is the way that Derby only just scraped away from relegation on the last day due to Cardiff scoring a last minute goal, is that actually symptomatic of the difference you have when you've got an experienced manager compared to what happens when you've got somebody who maybe doesn't have that knowledge and know-how and and I suppose EQ as well as IQ because we know that Rooney was a good footballer but as a manager loads of things you can accuse him of he didn't know his best system he didn't know his best team he chopped and changed a lot yes he had to deal with injuries and so on and then in the end it was luck as much as judgment that saved Derby on the final day. Now, there's a whole other story developing about whether they have been saved or not. That's a uh, an off-the-pitch matter. We're not going to talk about that. But do you think that the fact that Forrest actually did establish a system, even if it wasn't a very exciting one, and they made themselves solid and harder to beat, but also addressing the issues in midfield, most notably with Garner and Kravinovic, you could argue Kravinovic hasn't set the world alight, but what it did do is it filled a role in the team that was missing before. So is that a sign of what happens when you've got an experienced man at the helm? It is because that experienced man comes in and they, they just know what to look for in a team or they'll see what's in the current team and they'll just know how to address those areas that might have problems. So, the obvious one is the defence, leaking a lot of goals. Hewton's come in and, and steadied things there. But in the midfield, he identified the kind of players that we were missing. We didn't have a Ben Watson type, that holding anchor midfielder who could spray the ball around and, and, and keep it moving. He identified that in James Garner. He'd not done a great deal at Watford in the first half of the season. Comes to Forest and he's a revelation. And we're all praying that we can hold on to him now for next season and, and bring him back in on loan. And Kravinovic is, is a similar kind of player. His stats might not be on paper all that impressive. He's only scored one goal for Forrest and only contributed an assist or two. But just the style of play where he's neat and tidy on the ball, but he, he provides that work rate and that energy in midfield as well. It just made him a key component of the side and how Hewton wanted the team to function. And I think that that is an example there of an experienced manager coming in and identifying areas of the team that needed improvement and finding good ways to to improve those areas. Tom, I'm just going to come to you. Now, this is a direct message that, that we received via our Twitter feed at Nottingham underscore Forest. 
and this is somebody who I actually asked, would you be able to contribute to part one of our podcast as a as a fan? And they weren't able to for various reasons, but they did say, my opinion is I don't feel comfortable or confident going into the summer under Hewton. I expect the same under him next year as he's already said he won't change his style of play. If we don't start well, I fear that October will be what we've seen before, as in a new gaffer with someone else's squad. I fear that Hewton's style and approach may not work. Football moves quicker than older gaffers can accept, in my opinion. Now, this particular contributor didn't want to be named in this message, but it's something we do see, and it's something we most notably saw when Martin O'Neill was the Forest manager. What's your response to that type of opinion? I think with the Forest fan base, fickle as we are, yeah, if he doesn't get off to a good start, then obviously the knives are going to be out. But like I said previous, if you can't, the reason why we're in this mess is because we keep sacking managers every five minutes. Then they want their players in, and you're just being top heavy on like different managers' uh, players, and you can have like squads over thirty. So I just think give him give him the time, and and if the football is not say come Christmas and we're not in a competitive position and obviously trust has been put in them in terms of from a board level then obviously um questions will need to be asked but i just think you've just got to give be patient with him and because he's like got um newcastle out of this league and probably on bigger budgets but he's got like um brighton who are probably similar statue to ours and he's got them out of the league so just give him time we can't like i said we can't keep sacking managers and, and because the fans have shouted loudest and they want him out within the first six weeks of the season. So you've just got to put a plan in place and hopefully stick with it. And does that uh, Telegraph article give you any confidence that the club are willing to do that? I think with the um, with what's mentioned in the Telegraph article, certain um, people are going to come in on the recruitment side of things to obviously um, help the club. I think... The club likes been mentioned by uh, Stephen is that they will trust him, and so if the they just want their trust repaying, and hopefully we're in a much competitive position next season, and hopefully if he gets better players on board, then obviously it's going to be hopefully easier on the eye for the supporters, so they can probably see progress is being made. So um, I think that we need to like hit the ground running next season, but we've got to stick with Hutton and see what he can. Uh, do the long term you see okay just to let everyone know we ran some polls on twitter now we are acutely aware of the fact that twitter is a bit of an echo chamber but even then are surprised by the response to this one should chris hewton be the nffc manager next season we had 441 votes so we just ran this for a day and 93 percent of people said yes and i was surprised by that kind of weight of opinion I did say if if not then who do you think should be the manager we only had two responses so Baz we had two responses one of them was Chris Wilder and the other one was Michael Dawson and Chris Cohen um so firstly <laughs> does that percentage surprise you and secondly what do you think about those suggestions <laughs> uh, the percentage the 93% yeah that does surprise me um maybe it's just people spouting off then when they say they don't want him who knows or or I I certainly hope that the message is getting through that you can't chop and change three times every four years 
um, and expect to get anywhere at all because we we, we live in proof of it. Um, as for the, those alternatives, Michael Dawson and Chris Cohen, well, we're back to the Wayne Rooney thing, apart from obviously they've got the connection with the club, but the the... The, the inexperience could be costly. It might be amazing. It might work out absolutely brilliantly, but it could be, it's, it's a big, big gamble going on someone without any experience, no matter what their connection to the club is. Um, and my personal feelings on Chris Wilder were he had one trick, he got found out, and now everyone knows about it. So, so what are you going to do? Just briefly on that one then, Stephen, uh, Chris Wilder, one of the sticks used to beat him with was recruitment. I mean, he spent us an eye-watering amount on forwards who just can't score. So wouldn't we just be back in the same situation? He's, he's got this ability to get the team playing much, much, much greater than the sum of its parts because he took a League One team to the Premier League um, with the addition of Super Benny Osborne, obviously. But wouldn't that just be the same problem that Forrest have had all this time, which is bad recruitment, lack of strategy, and then you sack him and then you have to start all over again. Yeah, exactly. And you saw with Chris Wilder, he got to the Premier League and albeit they had a a great first season, but couldn't sustain it and fell away badly and are now this season on the way out of the Premier League. So, yeah, you're just walking into the same sort of issues. And I don't I don't know if Chris Wilder would work quite as well at, as, at Forest either. Sheffield United was the perfect club for him, boyhood team, and the the conditions were just perfect for him to come in there with little to no expectation. Certainly coming out of League One into the Championship, nobody expected them to go on and, and have the rise that they did. Whereas I look at somebody like Chris Hewton, who not only has taken teams into the Premier League, but he's kept them there. and if Forrest want to get into the Premier League, I don't think we want to be coming straight back down or coming back down within a season or two. We do want to try and stay there and and consolidate. Yeah, and of course it's worth pointing out as well that part of the part of Wilder's demise was because he fell out with the with the club over the way the club was running. He wanted more control than they were willing to give him. So again, that element of trust is really important. Did you want to come in there, Baz? Yeah, I just want to say one of the things that's different about Sheffield United to us is that there is a different mentality about the club, the, the way that it's run, the way that the fans feel about it, the way that they, the, what their expectations are. And that's, Stephen, you, you touched on it there. Chris Wilder came in with no expectations on him. And then when the expectations were on him, the team collapsed. Whereas Chris Hewton has managed teams which have huge expectations on them. And he's managed to take it through those expectations and, and ride it. It, ride it with it so there, there are very different situations what could be difficult about taking over a two-time for a your, your former european cup winning <laughs> team that's not been in the premier league for 20 <laughs> 20 odd years i don't know um on that topic i mean expectations according to our poll expectations for forest league position next season four percent said automatic which i think is a little bit optimistic three percent said battling relegation again uh, 29% said mid-table and 64% said playoffs are the expectation. And that tells... Oh, I, I, I can see a funny look on Baz's face. What are you thinking? <laughs> well, uh, 64% playoffs. That's um, hope over... Hang on, though. I have one thing, though. I have to add this in. Um, I do expect us to get promoted next season. But the reason for that is because I'm not having a season ticket and it only happens when I don't have a season ticket. So there we go. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, let's move on to the next bit of the poll. Uh, best Forest player this season. Um, I gave three options based upon people who've been talked about a lot. So Joe Worrell was the runaway winner with 80%. Um, James Garner. I almost said Joe Garner then. That's a blast from the past. Um, <laughs> James Garner got 17%. Alex Mighton got 1% and other got 2%. And the uh, responses we got to that were uh, Worrell, but a shout out to Amiobi, which again, you know, okay. Opinions are, other opinions are allowed. And someone who surprisingly said Christie. So I think Christie for maybe a good player in the second half of the season. <laughs> That's just my, my thoughts on that one. Again, other opinions are available. Um, so, Stephen, Joe Worrell, Player of the Year. We've touched upon it before. It's a pretty easy choice, isn't it? Yeah, he's been ever-present. He's he's just performed throughout the season. And, and even though he's not at the armband, he's come across as a leader and somebody who has just just performs. That's just what just what he does. And I think we are very lucky to have him. And I, I just sincerely hope that we can hold on to him. The Premier League vultures might well be circling this summer if if rumours are to be believed. So I, I really hope that Forrest can keep hold of him and, and we start to build a more successful team around it with him as a linchpin at the back. And worth pointing out there that Joe Worrell played, I think, something like 70 minutes of a match with a broken rib and then only said to the physio about two days later it's a bit sore can we check it out and discovered he'd broken it so uh, that's the kind of you know we talked a lot about having blood and guts type captains and that's the kind of guy he is and he's been brought I mean let's be honest you know he's brought up on on a club that had Stuart Pierce as the captain so I think that says it all doesn't it if we move on Worst Forest player this season. So I gave um, three options with the option of other. So um, Harry Arter got 51% of the vote. I think maybe that's a little bit unfair because we've not seen him for about two thirds of the season. But true, he was a bit pants in those matches we did see. Um, Luke Freeman got 42%. Tobias Figueredo, I gave as an option because obviously the knives were out for him, especially in that in that run before Christmas. And he got 4%. And then other, we got 3%, of which we've got a couple of votes for Lyle Taylor and a couple of votes for Gaitan Bong. What are your thoughts there, Tom? It's, I think the two players, what you mentioned first, um, Harry Archer and Luke Freeman, they, uh, they come in with like great promise, but they're just battered to, to they're just, there's been awful signings, haven't they? I mean, Luke Freeman, Freeman's never looked fit. Harry Arter looks like he's here for like a final paycheck. Lyle Taylor is he's coming in before he was the striker to get last summer and he's been um disappointing. Then Figueroa had that mad six week spell where all the uh, goals what would be what was conceded and basically was down to him. And then Bong when he's played he's hasn't been great. So um but it's, like I said, it's been one of those seasons where there's been a lot of players who have been well below average and um, and hence the position we was in the majority of the season. 
Okay, thank you very much. So the last part, uh, the last question I asked everyone was, who would you realistically like Forrest to sign this season uh, or for the forthcoming season? Let's assume that we all agree about James Garner, if that's doable. I will just refer to Justin's comment in part one of the podcast that Forrest transfer policy last season was like a 14 year old on FIFA who's been given a 20 million pound transfer kitty. Um, and so the answers we've had here, uh, we've got um, Jim says, get Brennan Johnson back and try and recruit a decent striker. Uh, William says, Barry Bannon, Ashley Fletcher or Jerry Yates, uh, Alex Mowat, Sam Klukas. Um, all of those names, apart from Jerry Yates, wouldn't cost anything. We've had another vote from Martin for Jerry Yates. Um, Otis Redding, presumably not that one, says uh, Barry Bannon and Lawrence Shankland. Adam says Bannon and Reach. We've got Jojo who says Dembele, Bannon, Shankland. Ashley says Kravinovich. Another vote for Bannon from Richard. And then uh, Alex Mowat come up again from Barry. And I did respond to that one, actually. It's an idea that of, of the kind of player I really like and I think would fit in with the Houghton system. He's on a free, but would be big wages. Obviously, it depends upon whether Barnsley do well in the playoffs and obviously who else comes in for him. But he would add that movement and vision in midfield that we were lacking until we signed James Garner. So assuming that Garner probably isn't going to happen, I think Mo would, be, and the other thing about Alex Mo and and Baz, you live in you live in Yorkshire. I was really surprised to find out he's still only like twenty six or twenty seven. I thought he was much older than that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised he's that young actually, because it feels like he's been around a long time. Okay, and um, also uh, a Yorkshire one here, uh, Pablo Hernandez. So I just responded as a quality player, but he's 34. Do we need another really aging midfielder? I don't know. Um, there's a vote for British Sombalonga. Stephen, what are your thoughts there? I think leave British Sombalonga in the past. He'll come in, he's 28. Realistically, this will probably be the last big contract that he's available to, to pick up. And I don't think we can be throwing £40,000 a week at him or those kind of figures that have been reported. I think there's better and younger options out there. Jerry Yates for one, uh, Johnson Clark Harris at Peterborough, for example, younger, hungry players who can hopefully grow and develop. That's what we should be looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you'd mentioned, I think it's about a year or a year and a half ago, you'd mentioned Shankland, who's uh, currently plying his trade north of the border. Any thoughts on that one, Stephen? Well, he's still, he's still quite well. He's still quite young. He's still got development time, but um, I believe he's gone on to Dundee United, unless I'm mistaken. And still developing his game there. And he, he might be one that's you, you pick him up alongside another striker and, and, and just bet him into the team slowly. I was almost going to say like a Jason Cummings, but hopefully not. Hopefully not <laughs> We're all quite that. It. Yeah. Um, a slightly more successful Jason Cummings. But that idea of somebody like him coming in from Scotland where there's an opportunity to develop, perhaps not as the main striker, that might benefit someone like Shanklin. Okay, my favourite vote um, that's come in for people who we should sign comes in from Boss Trade, who says we should sign the Peterborough Scouts. So I think that's uh, that's definitely one that we're we're everyone's nodding and we all agree on that one. I think so. Thank you to everyone for your um, opinions there. Really appreciate that. We're going to take a couple of minutes break, and to tide you over, why don't we hear from Jeremy Davis with the last sketch of this season?
1865 Forest Ramble Sketch by Jeremy Davis. It's somehow fitting that Forest should end a season of soporific mediocrity with a match against one of their fellow sleeping giants. The Collins English Dictionary defines sleeping giant as an organisation that is yet to show its full potential, which is slightly at odds with the term's usage in football where it refers to what the giant achieved before going to sleep rather than what it might do when it wakes up after getting some shut-eye. Does anyone really think that Forrest might win two more European Cups if Chris Hewton manages to shake the club out of its torpor? Or indeed that our final day opponents, Preston, could emulate the 19th century achievements of the famous Invincibles if they could stay awake long enough to get to the Premier League? In a recent post, American sports blogger Wolfgang Sports, who covers NBA, NFL and Premier League, lifted five sleeping giants to the EPL, of which more shortly, needs, and features Forrest alongside Blackburn, Sunderland, Ipswich, and Bradford City, whom he describes as Leeds United's most hated rivals, which must have come as news to Leeds fans. But as the European Super League proposals show, that's what happens when you try to Americanize soccer. If ever there was an initiative perfectly designed to make Forrest feel like a sleeping giant, it was the European Super League, or the ESL, as the marketing men would have it. Am I the only one who finds the initialisms irritating? I can see why they've done it. NFL and NBA just sound cool, effortlessly elite. Like they're so famous they only need to be referred to by their initials, kind of like how the USA refers to its presidents when they reach a certain level of fame. JFK, FDR, or, in the case of the previous administration, ROFL. Transposed to English football, it just feels like they're trying too hard to be something they're not, like Gordon Ramsay hosting a game show or Ed Meliband eating a bacon sandwich. Topical references? Who needs them? Not sleeping giants, that's for sure. Actually, I think I first noticed it when people started talking about Rangers and Celtic playing in the SPL, so it was the Scots that did it first, like deep-fried Mars bars, holding a divisive referendum on a key constitutional issue and winning the European Cup. Back in the 90s, the phrase sleeping giant conjured up black and white images of men in baggy shorts kicking a pig's bladder around pitches that looked like they were freshly ploughed. Wolves were the club most often referenced as a sleeping giant in those days, principally because everyone knew that they had gone to sleep after that win against the Hungarians in the 50s, famously proclaiming themselves champions of the world. Not that it got them into the running for the European Super League either. The point I'm getting at is that being a sleeping giant is not a label to which a club should aspire. And yet the fact that Forrest, two-time European Cup winners or not, haven't been in the top flight this century does make the club possibly the most deeply asleep sleeping giant in English football. With this in mind, it's no surprise, of course, that we weren't invited to the short-lived ESL party, despite having won the European Cup more than Chelsea, or, in the case of Spurs and Manchester City, having won the European Cup. Note to self, must check that this is going out before the Champions League final, because whoever wins... These sats are going to age well. It's a shame, though, as Forrest have such a rich tradition of supporting newfangled tournaments, like the Mercantile Credit Tournament or the ZDS Cup in days gone by, two more competitions in which European qualification was not an issue. On the other hand, everything about the so-called ESL seemed perfectly conceived to make everyone else feel good about their clubs, from the unsporting idea of ruling out promotion and relegation to the completely amateurish nature of the Sunday evening announcement, perfectly timed to cause Monday morning rush hour rage on the level of overrunning roadworks on the M1 or overhead line problems in the Market Harbour area. 
I've got a theory that Florentino Perez must have been picked last when he played football at school, which is why he's so keen on running a competition he can't be relegated from, and probably got made to play in defence, or defence, as he probably calls it now, which is why he doesn't like buying defenders. Anyway, much like London buses or Dominic Cummings, the ESL idea came and went very quickly. Meanwhile, much like the Labour Party, Forrest rounded off a disappointing campaign under new leadership with a defeat. Chris Hewton as Keir Starmer? Now you don't get that kind of satire on Matt Ford's podcast. Thank you, Jeremy, for all of your hard work this season and for keeping us entertained. And hopefully we'll have happier things to talk about next season. Now, before we move on, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some stuff to do with Forest, the way they're run and so on and so forth. I just want to give a quick mention to those of you who've joined the FanHub community. Obviously, we've been pushing this this season. FanHub's aim is to put fans first. And with everything that we've had in the last few weeks, especially the European Super League nonsense, it's never been more important as a fan to kind of show that you care about the game as much as the business. So in our FanHub leaderboard, you can join up, you can sign up to FanHub, you can download the app, you can put in your team predictions, you can view news items in there, including our news items and news items from other forest sources, and you can find out about the opposition. Just as crucially, you can check in on match day either remotely or next season. When you're at the match, you can check in at the ground and you get points for doing that. And our final leaderboard of this season, we have a winner. We have Psycho Forest, who takes the prize in first place with 92.4%. Um, Boothy23 comes in at 89.78. And then he's just pipping me to the post there. So thank you uh, very much to uh, everyone who's joined in. We've had 28 fans uh, joining in there. And in the overall club leaderboard, Forrest, we started off pretty poorly. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. But over the last month or so, we've climbed from a 40-something position to 28th position with an average score of 30.98. Now, unfortunately, this does mean that we're below Derby and Leicester, amongst others. But on the other hand, we are above Chelsea and Liverpool. So, you know, every cloud. So thank you, everyone. Um, keep an eye on our feed. What we'll be doing is doing special offers for you to jump the waiting list and join the FanHub community. And on that topic of clubs being part of the community, um, let's talk about part two of Nicholas Randall's interview. Nicholas Randall QC, I should say. Uh, Tom, what was Nick Randall talking about in part two of this interview with the Supporters Trust? Um, it was talking about um, the community, what the club do within the community, then obviously bits about the stadium and everything. And I think it's um, a key aspect with the board at the moment of uh, really engaging with the community and getting involved with certain initiatives regarding the Hope Food Banks and, um, and this, that and the other and the community trust um, having an influence down at Forest Recreation Ground with the education centres. So I think um, some fans might think it's a bit, well, it's not really relevant to the football club as Saturday um, match days go, but I thought it was quite interesting in what the club actually do in the wider community. Um, so, uh, no, it was, uh, it's quite good that the, um, they are willing to uh, improve um, with dialogue with certain um, areas of the city and obviously um, improve it and everything. Mm, OK, so I'm just going to come to you, Baz, because clubs being part of the community is something that 
really matters to some fans and, and, and doesn't matter so much to others. At the weekend, we participated in a campaign uh, to ask Forrest to consider playing all their staff, paying all their staff the living wage. And this is something that Nick Randall was approached about in the past. He said, well, the aim is to get Forrest into the Premier League. And as the athletic journalist Nick Miller pointed out, paying the living wage to all staff at the club would cost a lot, cost a lot less than signing another left back. Um, yeah, uh, I think the, the the living wage thing is absolutely. Um, I don't considering that the revenue lost from not having the fans in the ground it was seven million pounds according to the Kieran Maguire thing. Um, the, the living wage thing is not going to approach that as for the number of people the club have and that sort of thing i know you're just saying some people think it's really important some people don't think it's really important you just mentioned the european super league i think all that community stuff and how the club treats the people that it comes into contact with in and around nottingham that stuff is really really important because it's that that the glazers didn't understand about the european super league and it's that that um, Big West, when I interviewed him at the start of the season, it's that that makes him think football is special compared to American franchise sports. It's all that stuff, the fact that we're rooted in this place and it's about the people in this place. That's what makes a difference for football. That's why it's so important. And that's what makes a difference compared to other sports out there. They don't have that, that uh, strength of feeling because they're not in the community. And, and crucially, I mean, you mentioned Big Wes. So a couple of things you mentioned there. So Kieran Maguire and Big Wes, their interviews are available on our podcast feed and both of them are very much worth listening to for to- totally different reasons. But with Big Wes, one of the things that he said is as somebody who'd barely even heard of Nottingham before the whole kind of Twitter furor, right, that he feels like he's part of Nottingham now. And I think those, that, that's a sign of, of, of the strength of community. And one of the things that really the club have put a lot of thought into is their connections with Hope Nottingham doing the food bank stuff with Framework Housing Association and someone on Twitter did respond to me saying well this isn't really that you know people people you know have a choice to go for a job which has doesn't pay living wage and I I responded with a club like Forest have the cash flow to be able to do that and it would mean that fewer people would need housing support and fewer people would need to use food banks and therefore I think there's a bigger picture thing so I'm I'm very much supportive and fiercely proud that I support a club mm-hmm. who are supporting these local charities who are a real community impact but I think that there's another part to it so that's why we chose to participate in that campaign now just to move away from that um Stephen, I think the the big headline um, was the return to the topic of stadium redevelopment, wasn't it? And I think that's that's the most uh, eye-catching thing that came out of part two of Nick Randall's interview, wasn't it? Yes, and the the, the things he mentioned about moving closer towards the development being approved, and that they have a the club has a very good relationship with everybody involved in the planning process. So I'm assuming that's businesses and property owners around the city ground um i know there's been some rumblings before that the boat club have not been too cooperative or too helpful sometimes with this uh, development uh, depending on who you believe um but the councils 
still seem on board with it. And Nick Randall himself has said that the club has invested £2 million up until this point uh, to get the development to the stage that it is. So the club have clearly made that investment. That they're, they're still still keen to to get this development done, which is important. I think it's it's vital, really, that the stadium is modernised and we do create just a facility that's up to standard and up to standard for where we want to be, which is in the Premier League and a solid Premier League club. So it's encouraging. I think we all would have expected and hoped that given fans haven't been in the stadium for the last year, that development and work could have started because it wouldn't have had much of an impact. But the key thing is that the development seems to still be going ahead and is very much on. And then just to factor in as well on top of that, which I'm sure we'll come to, the the development of training facilities now and Forest wanting to upgrade the academy to Category 1 status, which again could be a very big move. Mm. I'm just going to come to you on this, on, on those but those topics there, Tom, because obviously you've told us before about how you're involved in, in the setup of of the trust, supporters trust, and there are a number of fans who are sceptical about the trust's influence and, and the dialogue that the trust have with the club. And on that topic, I'm just going to say that we've heard it before, haven't we, that the ground is going to get redeveloped and we're going to get those miracle gates uh, at this, uh, you know, at the entrance of the, of the ground and we're going to get that Cat 1 investment and, and all these things are going to happen. Um, these things take time, don't they? Or am I being overly generous? Uh, no, they do, they do take time. I mean, I'm in the building trade anyway, so people are saying, oh, where's these miracle gates? Well, you're not going to build, construct these miracle gates and have to take them out to get all the plants and cranes and infrastructure in for this new stand, you see. So, yeah, things take time. So um, I think, as Stephen says, it's absolutely vital that we do get this um, stadium de- uh, redevelopment approved because it makes the club be able to grow because, obviously, the, the mentioned in the interview, they've got a lack of facilities. They're doing the best with what they've got, but this will might take them to that next level. And um, we're quite biased in terms of we've got the best location in the country, I, I reckon, of where our stadium is. And and it's unique as you come over Trent Bridge and to have that taken away because certain people have like uh, turned, turned down the um, approval of a stadium or stadium redevelopment will be a massive blow. So, yeah, I think as soon as we get um, the approval and that be able to obviously redevelop the city ground and obviously the Cat 1 status at the academy, we could probably grow as a football club to that next level. And you never know, if, it, if we do get to the Premier League, that could be massive in tempting like, better players and obviously sustaining our um, position in the Premier League. But um, yeah, these things take time, so we've just got to be patient. But hopefully in the next few months, we'll have some uh, good news in terms of stadium redevelopment and the approval. And I'll just uh, redirect listeners who didn't catch our March podcast. We did talk about things like that uh, in a bit more depth, including things to do with approvals and so on. So uh, please do check that out if you haven't already. But now it's time for our final game this season of Guess That Red. 1865. Guess That Red. All right. So. If you've listened to this before, you'll know how this works. And to our 
players, Stephen, Baz, Tom, uh, I'm going to give you five clues relating to a Forest player who is no longer at the club. I'm going to ask you to shout in if you think you know the answer and see if you can guess that red. Let's start off with clue number one. So this player started his career at Forest and made 223 appearances across his career, of which 142 were for Forest, in which he scored nine goals in a red shirt. Got a sea of blank faces staring back at me. It's quite a general clue, that. Let's see if this one helps. Clue number two. He never played north of the border, but he won nine Scottish under-21 caps and five full caps for the Scottish national team. Um, is it Scott Gemmell? Tom, it is not Scott Gemmell, but see what he did there. Let's move on to clue number three. Initially in the team as a defensive midfielder, he was player of the year in 2001-2 and he captained Forrest on a number of occasions. Uh, I'll go again. Is it Gareth Williams? Gareth Williams? It is Gareth Williams. Well done. (laughs) So... Well done to you, Tom. It is Gareth Williams. And just for the sake of argument, the other clues were, so clue number four was going to be that before he broke into the first team, David Platt reportedly described Williams as the best passer at the club. And many fans thought of him as Paul Hart's blue-eyed boy. And then the final clue was going to be after leaving Forest, he moved to Leicester City for a million pounds, decided by a transfer tribunal, and then he went to Watford. But he retired aged just 28 due to a number of knee injuries. So, uh, so well done to you, Tom. Um, Baz, what are your memories of seeing Gareth Williams playing in that, in that almost all-conquering Paul Hart team? <laughs> um, to be honest, it's really weird. I, I, I was surprised when he said defensive midfielder because I don't remember him as a defensive midfielder at all. It's that, that thing about the passing. Um, I, can re- I can remember him skipping up to people and then taking it round them or, or being able to get the ball free when, when he was under pressure, but not the defensive part of it. Mm. Well, so Stephen, uh, you might remember this, I don't know, but um, uh, initially in Paul Hart's diamond system, he tried to play Williams as the anchor man and, and Ricky Schimmerker in, in one of the more advanced positions, but he swapped him round because he realised that Schimmerker was just better, both of them were better used in those other respective positions. Um, was he a player that you rated? Yeah, I always liked Williams and I was really disappointed when he left. I think the fact he moved to Leicester probably didn't help, but uh, yeah, I just thought he's a really classy operator in that midfield and a big part of the team that, that obviously came so close to, to getting back in the Premier League. I remember there was a game against Norwich towards the back end of that 0203 season. Um, I was sat in the lower Brian Clough and I was sat perfectly behind a ball as he chested it down and volleyed it into the top corner. Brilliant goal. And it just yeah, such a just such a classy player in, in 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 a really good team. And Tom in some ways I guess he he's he epitomizes that vision of of early noughties football, you know, a classy, silky midfielder, you know, in a ser- in an era when shirts were a bit more baggy and, you know, it wasn't all about physicality, you know, a guy who looked after his hair, let's be honest. So uh, was he a player that you liked? 
Yeah, I think um, it was quite like Stevens just said, it was very neat on the ball. And in a Paul Hart team where they were like bringing it out from the back, um, yeah, he really suited that style of play at the time. And we had some like really good like ball playing midfielders then. We had obviously Andy Reid, uh, David Trutton until the January of that season, Shimmick, who's played in the Premier League. So we had some like real decent players who were very comfortable with the um, with the ball at the feet, so uh, yeah, I think he it was good for the uh, the style of play uh, what Steve, uh, Paul Hart was trying to um, achieve when he was manager here. And of course, I would I would wager, and we discussed this in the past, that that Paul Hart team, in many ways, is a precursor to Man City under Pep. It's like having having sort of De Bruyne and David Silva in central midfield, having Andy Reid and Gareth Williams playing alongside the Fernandinho of, of Ricky Schimmerker, I think. Um, so. And, and overlapping fullbacks who, you know, it was just absolutely groundbreaking and so much so that we didn't, we knew we were onto a good thing. And you look back and you just think that was 20 years ago. It actually is massively ahead of its time. So happy memories at the end of a sad, sad season for Forest. We say thank you to Stephen, to Baz, to Tom. We say thank you to Jeremy for the sketches throughout the season and to the Maradon the Midlands for his sterling contributions. We thank all the guests who've contributed to our podcasts throughout the season. And most of all, we thank you, listener. Please, if you haven't already, take the time to leave a nice positive review on your podcast provider. This helps other Forest fans find our content. And there will be content over the summer months. We're going to have a couple of interviews for you and a bit of nostalgia. So keep tuned to your feed. Keep an eye on our Twitter and Instagram and Facebook pages. And have a great summer. And hopefully next season will be much, much better. Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.